You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I am Kenneth. And tonight we are looking at episode 10 of Space Above and Beyond, entitled Stay with the Dead. Brief episode synopsis. Wounded have arrived at the Saratoga. Among them is Nathan West, the sole survivor of the fight in 58th. West is suffering from extreme PTSD and unable to accept the death of his close fighting companions, Vanson, Hawk, Wang, Damphouse, the guy he played dominoes with, that woman, that guy, and that other guy, his close friends. He suffers from memory problems, but remembers a familiar voice in his head saying, Stay with the dad. He is convinced that the 58th is still alive, despite the fact that he himself reported them dead. The doctors decide that he needs extreme PTSD treatment to burn out part of his brain. He'll forget everything, but he'll be at peace. Colonel McQueen isn't ready to sacrifice West just yet. Through a series of flashbacks, we follow the events that led up to the death of the 58th. Like turtles standing on the back of turtles all the way down, they are sent to a hellish planet to medevac the team that was sent to medevac the team before them. This doesn't go well. The team they are there to rescue, the 61st, is missing. They find a wounded man, but when the guy that played dominoes with West just the other day goes to help, they learn that Chiggs have mined the wounded soldier. Boom! West will never collect his domino winnings. They find another wounded man who warns them away and begs them to kill him. They debate whether they should help him or kill him. Rather than risk it, the soldier pulls the mine himself and explodes. They find the bodies of the 61st piled up and all gruesome. Back in the present, the colonel has seized his objections and West is being prepared to have his brain burned out. Back in the past... Killer has an idea. Clearly, the Chigs are monitoring their communications. Put the bodies of the 61st in their uniforms, then call in a distress call saying that the entire squad, save for one, has been killed. They will ambush the Chigs when they come, then hide, waiting for pickup elsewhere. There is a debate about the rules of warfare. The Marines always bring back their dead. Our rules in warfare are what make us human, argues West. We cannot desecrate the dead by making them wear our clothes. For example, Wang is probably wearing his stinky lucky t-shirt again. The plan goes ahead, so West volunteers to stay with the dead and make the transmission. The ambush doesn't go terribly well. West is wounded and Vanson and the 58th escape, telling West to stay with the dead, where he'll be safer. West remembers this just as they're about to burn out his brain, and the day is saved. There's been a catastrophic toll on the 58th, though. Their roll call has been significantly diminished. Vanson, alive. Hawks, alive. Wang, alive. Damphouse, alive. West, alive. That guy who plays dominoes with West, dead. That woman, dead. That guy, dead. That other guy, uh, alive with a broken arm. The 58th will never be the same without them. The end. So, what did you think of Stay With the Dead? It was a slug. Okay. 
It had no suspense whatsoever. <laughs> I knew from the um, from the teaser that the other um, people whose names are on the opening credits title sequence <laughs> are uh, were going to be in next week's episode. Yeah, funny that. Yeah, I I, I have to say that that the, the probably first my first note really when I was watching the episode was this would have been an absolutely awesome opportunity to kill them all. Not not me griping about, oh, I don't like them or anything like that, like I would with Dante Montana, but or right. Percy. But this would be the perfect opportunity to kill them because this would be a gut punch in the stomach of the people who, where else can you gut punch someone? It would just be a gut punch. To the, right. the people watching the show who are fans of the show, because that's war. That's real war. People you know go out and die. You know, it's not real until that happens. They're just, you're sending ciphers over to be shot and killed until somebody you know, someone you love, someone you care about, someone you've had interaction with is dead. And to wipe out that whole squadron halfway through the season would have been awesome. And maybe in television today, they could do it, that. It would happen. But well, not in this show. And that exactly. part was really... And I didn't think this was going to be any ooh science fiction thing. We can bring him back to life either. This was just going to be a mistake. Although I was, I will, uh, mildly confused when they said, we brought back their remains. Like, really? You brought back their remains, but you didn't do a DNA check? That's the plot hole. Not that they had DNA checks, maybe, when they made this show. But, um Yeah. It, it or, was, or you, or you didn't look at it. You didn't look at them. Were they that were they that badly distorted and burned? Yeah. So that part was a little bit. Um, but no, it's certainly no suspense about that. I I totally agree. It would it would have it's a perfect opportunity to do something really bold and daring, and there was no way they were going to take it. And it was really sad because as soon as we saw a group of the fifty eighth, and it was like, oh, it's not just the main. Five, six, five. Not just the main five. Well, they're dead. Yeah. Oh, they gave them names. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're they are totally dead. I didn't bother to write them down, but I did. But right, well, I figured you would. But I I thought you know I have a note here. It says, should I actually bother to write these people's names down? No, they're dead. They're dead. It's better, and in, and it's better that way in terms of, to my mind, it's better that way in my recap. Because, yes, it's a bit sarcastic calling them that guy, that other guy, the guy. But that's what they are. They're nothing. They they are inconsequential people. One of them got a personality trait of playing dominoes. That was Lyndon. But beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, that was Lyndon. I, I do actually know that. But, but, yeah. but he'll always be the guy who played dominoes until he did something really, really stupid. <laughs> and, then, and that was the end of it. Yeah switching gears they knew right they were warning him it's like they might have done something they might have booby trapped the body and yet later in that very episode they seemed surprised that that the chigs would do something like that it's like it sounds to me like you already knew they were doing that yeah i did notice that too that's an issue to take up with the writer of this episode and that writer not morgan and wong was it no was joe reinka meyer I may be mispronouncing that, but he'll forgive yeah. you. Thank you. As but he did also write episodes thirteen and twenty-one. 
Well, I wonder if he also screws up the fact that the chinks won't go near dead bodies. Well, you have to... That did mess it up, didn't it? Because... They piled the bodies. Yeah. And they walked through them going after West and whatnot. I also thought that the Chigs tended to take out parts of corpses. I recall that from I recall that from from a previous episode. They take they take the eyes. Oh yeah, yeah, there was something about that, wasn't there? Yes. Yeah, that, that smells ritualistically like they're religious fanatics all of a sudden. I, I would anyway, um that that's gonna be that's gonna be yeah. Yeah, but he, he got it wrong in this episode. I mean, based on what we've seen in the past. It's like they won't they knew those people were on the planet and they wouldn't go near them because they were by the bodies. And yet here eh, okay, fine. Yeah, it was a, oh I'm oh, I must must correct and extend myself here. There were two writers. The other one yeah. was Matt Kina, K I E N E, or is it Keen or however he says it. And he also co wrote episodes thirteen and twenty one. So we we have a we have a writing team of, team. of uh, we have a writing team of people who apparently didn't read the other writer's notes. <laughs> Least on that, yeah. Now I will say this: um, when I was ending the episode, or actually as I was going through it, but you know, as I sit down at the end of it and I kind of think about it, I go, "All right, I wasn't really crazy about the episode because first off." I don't like flashback episodes because there is no suspense, right? I, right. I, I've had this discussion with Simon over like a particular episode of Firefly. It's like, you've got to want to know how he got there. When you see the thing at the beginning of the episode, you've got to go, gosh, how the heck did he get there? And then want to care. But in this case, it's just West has been wounded. We know he's not going to die. He's at a medical facility. He'll be fine. And the others will be brought in later. So there is no suspense in this. So by telling it through flashback, it kind of, I don't know, it just, I mean, yeah. I guess there would be zero suspense whatsoever if we right. didn't. Uh, yeah, it would have made, but <laughs> it, would less, been, yeah. it would have been a better episode had people, had the writers just done a linear story. Because there are some things of interest in this story. And that, that was what I was getting at. I do have a couple of points that I was, as I was watching him, I was like, all right, this raises some stuff that could be interesting to discuss. Whether or not it was handled well is another story, but you're right. There's no suspense in terms of are our heroes going to make it out? Not zero. It's absolutely zip zero. Can't be. There is a little bit of, a little bit of, so what happened? Because there is a scene, the first scene when uh, the colonel is trying to restrain West and you know, he writes on the pad, 58, question mark, and, and McQueen does not say they're dead. He says, no, you know, you know, you know. And uh, there's a later point, and I thought, now is this, is this because McQueen and West know something we don't know? Like, it was all a scam. Like, maybe they're both in on it. And he's just saying, you know, you know. Or maybe he uses that weird turn of phrase because the writers are trying to show the point that the colonel wants him to face reality. So I don't need to tell you this. You need to you need to cough it up and say, yeah, I know, they're dead. And it may be that. And the other thing is he may have just done it so as to not lie to the audience. 
But that is undone later when he says, yeah, we found their bodies. We had the ceremony, you know, we had the funeral. So, right. So now do they have to go out and find those caskets and bring them back in so they can give the 61st a, a proper burial? Probably not. Okay. If it were in the real world and they buried them in graves, you know they would. Well, yeah. Absolutely. So I don't know. I mean, they're stupid enough to keep sending medevac after medevac after medevac after the corpses. So maybe they would. Like, all right, well, we know where they're going. I mean, it's just physics. Follow the follow the path, find them, bring them back in, clean them up, give them new uniforms, send them on their way again. It feels like something that they would actually do because it's what Marines do. Wow. But there would be no story at all if we weren't, I mean, literally there would be no story at all if we weren't, uh, going along with West trying to regain his memory. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it it's pretty, it, this one couldn't be told in any other way, but it's just not. Well, Heck, if they just we, whacked one of them, you yeah, know, so if they just whack bang or, or yeah. damn mouse or, yeah, that would have been a little, a little better. Yeah. But I mean, that'd be the sort of thing that Ronald D. Moore would have done on Battlestar Galactica. See, he killed major characters off. Yeah, modern TV will do it, um, but you know they they TV series contracts are different now. You know, for the actors, you don't yeah. have to go. Yeah, we're going to hire you in. You're going to be in 22 episodes. We guarantee you'll be seen in 20 20 of them for at least one minute and one line of dialogue. And you know they they can they can go. You're in it. You know you're in it for five, and then we'll decide uh, what we want to do. All right. Um, let's talk about the morons that are directing this war. Ah, uh, the uh, Joint Chiefs? Yeah, apparently. I still need to understand, and they are not doing a good job of it. What is the tactical significance of taking a planet? What 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 tactical value does that have? What, what is the planet, which I'm not even going to try to name because... Sir. Well, C-E-R, sir. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, that's not what it sounds like West says. He sounds like he's saying seer. All right, we'll get oh, to that. Yeah. Seer, I, sir, but but it's still C-E-R. Yeah, I I tried to find that. I looked it up, of course, and if you look for the Greek god of death, you get Ceres, not right. seer. Uh, but if you look deeper on that, sometimes Ceres is a bunch of siblings, and or singularly, Ser. And you're like, well, what? Then I tried to find a pronunciation guide. I found exactly one pronunciation guide for C-E-R. And I thought, oh, all right, good. It's a, it was a little YouTube video where they do pronunciations. And I swear up and down, I click this to watch it, and they start off, and they've got the letters C-E-R on the screen, and the guy goes, C-E-R. 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 Thanks for watching. I'm like, and then I thought, maybe that's what this knucklehead watched before he did this episode, because Wes says seer, seer, like you were saying, S-E-E-R, seer. And I'm like, A, I've never heard of that one, and I've studied a lot of Greek mythology because I used to name all our servers and all our equipment, everything after them, and it's always been a little amusing thing with me, and I've never heard that one. And then... You know, when, when Wang, who, you know, more power to him. If I name a Greek god, how many people do you know can just pop around and go, oh, great, the Greek god of violent death. <laughs> uh, 
He knows his stuff. Well, he knows his stuff, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> especially somebody in the jarheads. But all right. Yeah, that that was <laughs> a little of a thing. Anyway, but so what is it, you know, without understanding what the tactical significance of this planet is, it makes no sense what they're trying to do there. I mean, they're trying to rescue the guys who went to rescue the guys who were no. there before. At what point do you go, maybe we should stop sending in our Marines to die, but oh, no, 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 we always bring back our dead. We, we've had that twice in this series, although yes. previously we had it where a guy did that, um, Mr. That Butts. Was, that was Ray Butts. Ray Butts, Ray Butts, Roy Butts, Big Butts, whatever his name was, I don't remember, but yeah, it was... Uh, Ray. He went back, he went back on against orders to bury the dead to to take care of the dead that's right and it's like okay well so west where do you get this idea that the marines always bring back their dead i mean i know it's a catchphrase we always bring back our dead but it's like you can't do that in war and if you keep sending people to die to bring back the dead you have more you're a moron yeah (laughs) yeah You're, you're morons running a war yeah, and uh, well, I agree with that, and uh, I do have a thought about the planet, and this is purely speculation because the episode makes no statement about it. But there could be it's the planet is in some sector, and so it's controlling it. Would put the Earth would put in this case the U.S. military it, with an arm's reach of some part of the Chig territory. I'm just speculating. I, I, I and and. and... That's a very good speculation, and it's the best I could come up with, apart from the fact that maybe they're trying to mine static electricity there for the war effort. But, you know, but so you have a planet, and you want to put a base on that planet so that you can use it as a strike point or supply point or, okay, I I can, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, poo-pooing the idea that there couldn't be some tactical significance to having the planets but this is not like islands in the pacific right this is no planets are all you know they move stretched way 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 out in the galaxy and and they move well yeah well i mean relative to their planet so i mean I, I yeah okay but so it's the solar system that's really the tactical advantage they need solid ground in a solar system that's right. in a place where they need it to be but we don't Part of the failure of this war is we don't understand what they're fighting for, right? Are they fighting to push the Chinks back away from Earth? Are they going out to this just to capture a hill 403 near a you know near the Mash 4077 or whatever it is? It, it is why are they trying to get these planets? What? How will this help them win the war? Anything, but I just don't understand how they're conducting the war, and. Their nebulous stuff about wormholes and, and, you know, flying between two stars in a little close corridor nonsense like that in previous episodes, they just have such a failure to understand space, and space is the battlefield, and so they are not able to convey to me a concept of how they are waging this war and why you need to take any planet, let alone just this particular one, but... Anything would have been good to say, is this really worth keep sending people in to die? Yeah. And the... Because they sent people in to rescue the 58th. Yes, indeed. And so my best answer to the valid point you have raised is 
that the the that um Morgan and Wong, was that, what was that his name? Oh, yeah, the the, yeah. the people who yeah okay, that Morgan and Wong, um apparently have watched a large quantity of World War Two movies. Yeah, I I think that's right. I, this feels like battle hop island hopping in the Pacific. They're closing in on the Japanese home islands. I can just see it. Right. Well, I um, you know we had that we had that discussion of of Doolittle and his raid in a previous episode. Right? That did. was because we didn't have an island close enough to Japan to do the job right, so you had to send in the carriers kind of thing. It's, it's, you know, yeah, ground is good if a carrier is not good enough, and we haven't really seen that. We haven't really seen anybody come up and go, well, our base on planet whatever, you know, it's all carrier-based, and so, I don't know. It, it just, it, it, it just bugs me when, when we're watching, it's like, I... If I had a feel for what the stakes were, if I had a feel for why this was important, then maybe I wouldn't be watching the opening scenes where Wang is saying, yeah, we're going into medevac, the guys who went into medevac, thinking, thinking you stupid morons. Just, just you know, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily think that. But nope, nope, they don't give us anything. And so I just take it on face value. It's just like, yeah, we just go get the, we always bring back our dead. There's something else that may be a factor. I keep reading that this aired at 7 p.m. on Sundays. Oh, well, okay, yeah. Now, what... I might know where you're going. Okay, I have no idea what the hell Fox TV executives were thinking about a number of topics, like how they handle Firefly. But in this case, how they handled this show putting this on at 7 p.m. on Sunday. So in the 1970s, 7 p.m. on Sunday would have been smack dab in the family hour where there was a law that said you have to put on family-friendly programming. With educational content. Like Galactica 1980. And yes, that law was found to be unconstitutional and was not in effect, I believe, by the time this show was on. So... So that aspect of it was gone. I don't know, but it's still a. I think it's still just a lousy time slot. This right? belongs. At, this belongs at a later hour. Yeah, I mean they they did get rid of that that concept because it was a violation of free speech on the network's parts. Is my right. understanding of why that got shot down? Like, hey, you gave us a license, and yeah, still though they could have been educational. They could have talked about how warfare was fought. And there you go. Um, let's talk about the PTSD. Now, if yes. I'm not mistaken, this is around the time of some of the Gulf War stuff. If I'm uh, not mistaken, this yes, this aired uh, originally on December the third, nineteen ninety-five. So PTSD was a thing that you know we didn't call it PTSD. I don't. I don't think they called it PTSD after Nam. They still well, called it shell shock, didn't they? Uh, let's see. George Carlin did a whole routine about this, um, and um, it was originally. But back back in World War One, it was shell shock. By World War Two, it was battle fatigue. And by I the wasn't 19- even aware that battle fatigue was the same thing. Okay. Right. And by Vietnam, it got to be post-traumatic stress disorder. 
Okay. But I think, you know, it was probably a little bit in the zeitgeist at the moment. So they wanted to talk about PTSD and, and the, the suffering of soldiers and whatnot. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I am trying to figure out what they were going for with the idea of taking West to the one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh, uh, treatment room. I wasn't sure what what, what why was it why 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 he was in goo in a plastic case, but um, that was a uh, preparation. <laughs> yeah, okay. It hydrate. Okay, I don't know, but yeah, but this whole but one of the problems of this series is that it's still episodic television, mm-hmm. and so you get a character with in this case West was PTSD, and granted, I have not seen the next episode yet. So Wang but, last but, but, episode had it too. <laughs> yes, So and Wang seemed okay this time, so I think Wes will be great next week. Absolutely, he'll be fine. Uh, they won't have to do anything to him. Once his teammates were back, yeah, no no trauma there, because no big deal that the guy who played dominoes with him got blown up in front of his face. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I tried to do some research as to whether or not electroshock has ever been used for PTSD, and I certainly did not do an in-depth read on it, but I did find some papers from the 2000s where there was at least one clinical trial of, I don't know, 28, 30 people uh, using ECT or uh, electroconvulsive therapy for PTSD treatment. But it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be a thing that was done. So it feels like the writers of this pulled this out of thin air and go, I know, let's use electrodes as modern, as sciency treatment. And it, I don't know, it felt like they were trying to make a statement about lobotomies, frankly. Yes. Yes. Um, it also about a statement also, uh, Colonel McQueen's comment about if the VA approves of it, there must be something wrong with it. That was um, uh, interesting. Reminds me of what I've heard a number of veterans say about the VA. Yeah. Yeah. Well. But all of that, but the purpose of it to take away the memories gave me a Star Trek flashback, and I thought of Dagger of the Mind. Yeah. So, um, which, for, for those who are not paying attention, Dagger of the Mind was an experimental device that allowed them to manipulate or erase memories uh, for the treatment of the criminally, uh, the insane. Or, 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 of course, implant them. Well, yeah, that was how it was being abused, but the, right. the idea behind it was, uh, the treatment idea behind it was that, where this comes from. But it's just kind of interesting because, you know, well, we've come a long way since the 20th century. Really? It does not feel like you've come a long way since the 20th century. But he mm. makes a good point. You know, we would amputate the brain or we would amputate a leg if it were gangrene to save the life. So we amputate part of the brain, essentially, to save their life, right? It, it, is, it is a sort of valid proposition analogy, if you will, but it's your brain. And it's that's, your brain. That's the pushback. It's what makes you, you yourself. But part of, part of what happens to people who not happened to me and uh, not direct, but you know, from from pop culture and from, from what we see, part of what happens when someone loses a leg or an arm is they also 
It takes a hit to their self-image. Part of me is gone. So yes. it is, in a way, it's the same. And yeah. in a way, it's different. I mean, if they take it away and you don't know that you're different, now that's a... I think it's the horror of it. I think it's the idea of part of your... Part of what, you know, it's it's the horror of, of Alzheimer's or or other degenerative uh, neurological conditions right. that, you know, I am not who I was and I can't know that. And it's terrible. It's probably more terrible for the people around you because they do know. Yes, they and do. of course, this is from the Colonel's position. He doesn't want to see <clears throat> West, you know, but if he's going to spend the rest of his time jumping out of bed and thrashing around on the floor and screaming and stuff, I don't know. But it doesn't, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good. But there is a brilliant piece of dialogue, and I, I slightly paraphrasing it here because I didn't write it down. I, I noted it down, and now I realize I should have quoted it down. But um, when the doctor is talking to him, I think it's right after that amputate comment, the colonel says, but he'll forget them. And the doctor says something like, don't forget, they don't feel. They won't hold it against him at their 10th reunion. That's actually very close to the to a quote. Yeah, yeah. It, it I, I got the part about they won't hold it against him at their tenth reunion, but the rest of it leading up to it, I was like, yeah, probably should have got the exact. It's a brilliant line. It's a it's a brilliant line. It it is really, you know, cuts down to the whole idea of people anthropomorphizing the dead. Oh, they're what will they? They'll be turning over in their graves. What oh, will they do? No, they won't. They're dead. And and the doctor's position is taking a, a strictly uh, strictly, um, I want to use the word rationalist view. There's another word I'm trying to think of, but it, it's, you know, just could not. Yeah. 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 I get your point. But also, but that reminds me, there's a similar point on the planet where, um, members of the fifth, where West is pushing back, uh, against Vanson's suggestion of, um, using the corpses of the 61st. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it it runs through this episode. It's like they're dead. They're dead. I, I I would argue, I would argue that if the dead did have any thought or agency, that they would say, you know what? Go ahead. Do what you have to do to get out of here. I don't care if you put me in Wang's stinky t shirt. I, I I would I would like to attribute to them altruism to the living rather than selfishness for the dead. Because that's what it is. Yes. And and it exactly. And you know, it's, it's a part part of the list exactly. It's this episode does have that kind of vibe to it, which I thought was interesting. I'm not sure where they were going with it though. I'm I'm not sure which position in the end. I guess they're taking the position that says you should do what you need to do to survive because that's what got our team out to a happy ending. I mean, minus that guy, that other guy. <laughs> But the the woman and and uh, and Domino Man, but uh, yeah, it. But you know, West is the one that is so vehemently making the argument that we can't do that, and there are rules to warfare, and that's what makes us human. Which like you're not fighting humans, no. and I'd like to go there too. I mean, are are there rules to war? Theoretically, is, is the is the Geneva Convention actually uh, 
I don't want to say is it a good thing, because that would imply that some of the horrible, horrible things that the Geneva Convention has banned shouldn't be banned. And I don't mean to imply that in any such of the way. What I, what I should say is that the Geneva Convention should ban all warfare. It's like, oh, you can't use mustard gas, but it's okay to shoot them. No, it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty terrible when you do it with, with uh, I don't know, pick a, pick a horrible weapon and, and go, that's, that's just too awful, but blow them up with a shell and have, you know, have their body ripped apart and them still alive and suffering in agony. That's fine. That's okay. That's just war. And what do you do? Legitimately, it's a legitimate question. Let's say two sides go to each other and they agree to the rules of combat and they stick to them. There's still horrible killing. There's still horrible death and whatnot. But what happens when you go up against somebody who does not abide by those rules? The Vietnamese, for example. For example. Did not abide by the Geneva Convention in many instances. The treatment of POWs and whatnot were, were not done in accordance with, with the, the rules of war. And I've heard and read horror stories about what the Imperial Japanese Armed Forces did to their prisoners of war during World War II. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, they didn't also did not. I, I wasn't giving them a pass. The stuff they did in China is absolutely... That's chemical, that's biological warfare and testing on civilians and all sorts of just horrible, horrible stuff. There is an anecdotal story. It's not, actually, it's not actually anecdotal. It's a true story. But from my own personal experience, because I go to Taiwan quite a lot. Uh, Taiwan was a colonial, uh, was a colony of Japan. They, yes, they it won it. They won it, uh, I don't know, 1800s, 1880s, something like that. 1894, uh, Sino-Japanese War. Yeah, so, and they took it. For, uh, yeah, and they they took that, and it was a colony up till the end of World War II, when its fate is now undetermined because we handed it over to Chiang Kai Shek and his nationalist Chinese at the time. On Taiwan, which the people are still quite enamored of the Japanese, there's a lot of Japanese stuff. There's a lot of Japanese sentiments and architecture, and uh, just they're kind of. In some ways, they're closer to the Japanese than they are to the to the Chinese. Um, but on Taiwan, they conducted chemical research on lethal snakes, you know, different venoms and whatnot. Yeah. And at the end of the war, they let them all go. And you know what happens when you let a whole bunch of lethal snakes go on you a get, jungle? You, you get more snakes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they got them all. <laughs> They got them all. They got all the really deadly ones now running around the island. Um, it, it's, it's, you look at the list of what you should be watching out for when you're in a, in a, a more rural area. And it's like, I don't like this. That should be a war crime. This is not, this is right. not a good thing. Anyway, I hope that, I hope that the animal control units in Taiwan do their jobs. Oh, there's no way. There's, there's no way that is, there's a lot of jungle on that island and it's, yeah, they, they just, they run, they're loose, they are endemic. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's not good. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure they have anti-venom to all that stuff, but you know, you talk about Australia and their deadly snakes. It's like, I'm pretty sure Taiwan has all of Australia's deadly snakes too, because thanks 
Japan. Anyway. All right. But, anyway. So what, what do you do? You know, it's one thing with the treatment of prisoners. Okay, they, they take prisoners in and they do horrible things to them. Well, do we do horrible things to our prisoners? Here's a, here's a good argument for Star Trek and the Federation. It's like, do we continue to maintain our ideals in the face of people who will destroy our ideals if we don't compromise ours? I mean, that's a theme that comes up again and again in, uh, in, in particularly Deep Space Nine kind of Star Trek era. Yes, indeed. And it's a fair question. I mean, you can be Pollyanna about it and say, no, we will absolutely not do anything that is in violation of our charter. But if you don't do that and it will lead to your death, is it better to die than to compromise your your highfalutin principles? And I, in, I don't okay. have an answer. In the Pale Moonlight was an unforgettable episode. Oh, yes. That, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, Cisco and his, his conniving assassination of the of the the Romulan as I recall yeah yeah actually it was, uh, was, okay Cisco didn't uh, assassinate the Romulan Garrick right, did and Cisco was livid but but willing to let knew, it go but he did he did let it go I um you know it's nowhere near that level in this but no. at the same time we are we are fighting an enemy that we do not have any treaties with we do not have any understanding of as far as we know, we know nothing about the Chigs, about right. this society, nothing. We, we we have nothing about it. We know how they behave on the battlefield. Do we do we operate along our principles when it is clear they do not respect that and that they will not hesitate to use them against us? Well, the, one, the argument for maintaining your ideals is that betraying them is not the way to maintain them. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, but you would think that their ideals would involve not killing people. I right? I mean, isn't that a fundamental level? Don't don't commit murder? Uh, but well, it's war. Now it's different. We can kill we can kill people now. It's war. Uh one of the reasons I, I don't like uh, I, I don't like war films, uh, is that I I have trouble reconciling have trouble reconciling war and I and I recognize the fact that there are circumstances in which I could support war if you were being invaded you know yeah. it, like you're somebody's it. coming to invade your home and you will fight and and you will do what you have to do and in that case just the act of saying that I am compromising my principles of not being violent or not being someone who would be willing to kill because I would be so am I? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Um, and it's the first time we've had an episode that had something to get my teeth into. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see your point there. It's like, I would like to be a pacifist, um, but I also know that somebody had to defeat Hitler. No, yes. So I, yeah, so I can say, okay, so some wars are necessary, unfortunately, but most are not. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of wars are done for political reasons as opposed to I mean you could argue that Hitler was of political reasons but at the same time it just had to be done it, it had to be done and yeah mm. let's see um I this may be a good time to bring up a quote I after you see for everybody who's listening um I watch I watch these episodes twice and between the two times 
I read a blog, I read a blog post about it at something called the Movie Blog, which has a detailed review of every episode of, of this series, among other things. And this is a quote about the episode. It sums it up. Stay with the Dead is not a terrible episode of television, but it, but it is not a good one either. It feels like a story that lacks the courage of its conviction, bristling with potential and opportunity, only to squander it in favor of convention. Okay, that's fair. That's that's absolutely fair. They they're not willing to go out and take. They're not willing to take a stand either. Uh, I mean, yes, I guess they did. They did their desecration of the dead, but it was pretty milk toast the way they did it. Um, one one line that I thought was interesting, and I don't have it quoted, so I'm this is definitely paraphrasing him. When when they've got uh, they've got West in the uh, the massage chair and they're about to burn out his brain, and he's talking down to the colonel because he's face down, and right. he's he's trying to convince him that they're alive, that he remembers I know that the, the call was a trick, and he says, if you asked me. Right now, if Kylan is alive, I would tell you I don't know, which you know is not a position that he has taken through this entire series. It's like, I know she's alive. I know she's alive. I know she's alive. He's got absolutely no evidence whatsoever that she's alive, but I know she's alive. And But in this case, he's, I would tell you I don't know. But when it comes to the 58th, they're alive. Yeah, faith, and it. I think that line is undermined by, "I have faith they're alive." Well, it's it, like I know I'm they're like, alive, or at least they were when I left the planet. They were right. alive. That was, that was they, last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, well, last week, you know, last week's episode, she it turned out it wasn't her. So she, she was a, she was alien green goo. Yeah. So it, it it's um. Well, like they're alive. When I left, they were alive. My call was a fake. Period. End of discussion. They were alive when I was medevaced off the planet. That's a fact. I'm. This is not me. This is not me holding on to my stupid. You know, she's got to be alive. She's got to be alive. He is. He's making that commission, and then yet, yeah, you gotta have faith. Like, you have to have faith in facts. No, <laughs> facts, like, facts are the no, facts. They might be. They could be dead because. There's been several days, it's three days on this planet. Yeah, so you know, it, it, but but you know, the fact is that he's trying to convey not my insanity is that they were they were alive when I left because it was part of a trick. So yeah, odd 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 way to do that line. I thought that was definitely yeah. Um, the guy, or you're about to say something. No, you you, you go ahead. I do have something to say, but I but it can wait. The guy who had the bomb, who is there crying out in pain and saying, okay, yeah. and it's like, and then when rescuers come up to see him, and he goes, "No, stay away, shoot me, shoot me, stay away. It's got a proximity sensor. Don't come near me." And they're having their little debate whether or not we should shoot him or not. And I'll be interested to see what your opinion is. Should you shoot him or not? Um, but they have that whole sequence where they're at odds with each other about 
again, the morality of what they're doing in war. And when Wang, I think it is, or maybe it's the other guy, decides that he is definitely going to go over there and try to defuse that proximity-detecting bomb, the guy goes, no, and he, he detonates it himself, and because he keeps saying it's impossible for them to defuse it. Good, good move. They don't have to shoot him, and they can't save him. But why didn't he do that earlier, before they even arrived? It's a good question. It's an example of sloppy storytelling. Um, and I suppose the answer to your other question is, I suppose that shooting him would have been merciful given the circumstances. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like it's, it's a tricky one. I, I, he's begging for you to shoot him. I am definitely, uh, I definitely uh, am in the camp that says there are circumstances where I believe that suicide is the correct uh, it should be a correct and legal option for people uh, in a in certain situations. This yes. guy is definitely in a very extraordinary one, and I genuinely don't know if I could shoot him. You know, I mean, I'm sitting in a situation where I've been trained to kill and I've been sent out in the military and I've shot a bunch of chicks already. That's a, maybe a little bit different situation than asking a civilian whether or not they could do it, but it does seem like a mercy. But again, contrived by the sloppy writing because he obviously could have done that. Why did he sit there and suffer waiting for people to come who he would then immediately say, no, you can't come near me? Yeah. It's... Unless he was waiting for a chig to come along and then blow himself up. But I don't know. But again, we're not given that, so. No. And I wonder how many of these plot holes um, come out of network interference and many how them help come out of incompetence yeah i mean if they had shot him just like that review article said they needed to have the courage of their convictions like yes we do horrible things in war this is a mercy but you know <laughs> you just did a horrible thing in war and and that will have that will have repercussions for whoever shot him i mean tank obviously would have had to be the guy to do it because he has barely any human emotions. Right. Everyone else would have been, you know, a, a babbling mess yes, for now, years to come of therapy. But yeah. That's right. And then, of course, think about this. Some of this may be a function of this was airing at 7 p.m. on Sunday. Now you think about, well, something right, quite Right, he had different. to kill himself. Right. Yeah. So like, um, like Ronald D. Moore's Battlestar Galactica was on Saturday at 10. Yeah. Yeah. They, they This this is the good guy can't shoot the bad guy unless the bad guy shoots him first. And, and more likely, the good guy can't shoot the bad guy. The bad guy has to do something that accidentally gets himself killed in a gunfight right. kind of thing to show that, you know, bad guy. Bad guys get their comeuppance. Good guys don't kill, um, except in self-defense. And I, I suspect that's exactly why... They had to blow up, but this would have been so much of a better episode if they had shot him. Yeah. You know, it could have been one of the people that was going to die. And you know, then, that guy, the other guy, right. <laughs> that woman. Yeah. Well, any one of them could have shot him and then died. You know, they, right. They, they could got, have been at odds with each other and that would have saved the, the, the therapy bill right. um, for that one or having their brain burned out because that's what they do. In the in the twenty first century, <laughs> did you catch the date on the casket? I couldn't read it. No, 
I didn't see it. I saw there was a plaque. Yeah, it was really hard to read. Um, it was her name and Marine Corps and a serial number, and then it was birth and death date. And uh, I think that I didn't write them down because I couldn't get the death yeah. date, which was the more important one. But um, it was I could have yeah, been anything not... from twenty sixty to twenty ninety something. Well, well, it's I know that the year is twenty sixty three. Um, yeah, that's probably that what it much. said. Yes, and um, also we're not exactly watching high definition. Oh no 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 no! This oddly enough, this show's never been put on high def, and probably yeah, wasn't shot in high def. No, either it was shot in video in the nineties, and it it shows. Um, it doesn't feel like it's shot on film at times. It doesn't have the quality that X Files does, but maybe that's just the transfer. Maybe it's just maybe it really was well, shot on good quality be, film, it and it could it's be the transfer because you think about something like. The X Files, which is a cult show, you get the season sets and yeah, and you know they're going to sell a Blu-ray's going to sell a whole no, whole lot of copies, and someone's going to make a whole lot of money off it. And then you have a space above and beyond that ran for twenty-three episodes, which, if I'm not mistaken, I had to actually get these from Britain. Yeah, you told me that because because they're not uh, they're not available anymore in the U.S. or or the or the old discs that were available are outrageously expensive so yeah okay um there's also another plot point in this uh it could come okay. back to those morons who are directing this war so they they arrive on the planet and they immediately come under attack and they find out the 61st is not there and uh it's like it's like the enemy is just like one step ahead of them and then killer comes up with a brilliant concept I think the Chigs are monitoring our communications. Like, you think? Yeah, think? Yeah. They they have technology. They can they travel through space. They can monitor communications. But they cannot use encryption on the Earth side, apparently. Apparently. Okay, let's talk about World War II again, shall we? Mm-hmm. The, uh, was it the Navajo? Or there another word? Navajo Code Dockers, yes. Yeah, with Dockers, yeah, okay. So, co and the British had their and the Germans had a code. The British cracked it, as I recall. Um, encrypting messages was a Ching, thing. Yeah. In war, was Let's a thing. Report. Was was a thing in World War Two. Yes, yes, it was. It was. Uh, it's the thing people's been doing for like a while now. But uh, you know, they seem to be using plain old radio communication. And right, we can't. We can't take the, the, the situation of the Navajo Code Dockers, which is a fascinating thing if people have not heard about them. It's a fascinating thing. The Navajo language is so weird, um, and, and that's that's not a disparaging weird. It's just so atypical of other languages uh, on Earth that they couldn't break it because they couldn't apply rules that they understood, which is part of is one way of decrypting things. Uh, or, or decoding things is to, you know, apply similarities that you understand. And the Navajo language did not have that. And uh, so, but they can't do that because to that, for that to work, they actually had to have somebody write it up and then have somebody who understood Navajo. I think they spoke it over the radios yes. between locations. So you have to A, have the Navajo on spot and you have to, that's not going to do in a case like this where they're calling up on the radio saying, I need a pickup, I need a pickup. But even in 1995, 
I, or, yeah, 1995. I feel like PGP was already a thing. Yeah, Digital yeah. encryption was a thing. And these guys just appear to be working on a clear channel. I mean, we, we know you have scramblers and things like that. Turn on the scrambler. That's, they could have at least done that. Maybe they do. Maybe the chigs can break their encryption. But again, we don't know that. They just tell us that they're monitoring their communications, and for all the world, it appears like they're communicating on an open line. And once again, I think you guys are morons. Whoever's running this war is run by morons. Yes. And someone should have figured this one out. Um, both points yep, you three made. Three teams ago, yeah. Uh, because going back to the pilot episode, you remember that when that colony ship arrived at TELUS, it came under immediate attack. Oh, yeah, they knew. Somebody, and they knew. That means they were listening to communications. Oh, or they were tipped off by uh, um, Aerogel. Uh, what's the name of the company? Aer Aerotech. 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 They, were, they may have been tipped off by them. Or somehow they figured it out. So there is some source of information going from humans to chigs. And another question is, can Chigs understand English? And is there anybody in the in the Earth forces that can understand Chig? I'm guessing the answer to the first question is yes. The second question is no. Admittedly, they have had help from the uh, uh, the binars. Uh, what are they called? The, <laughs> the binars. Dice okay. <laughs> the dice the people. The uh, uh, binars um, came. That, that's a different series. Ten zero eleven zero. By zero zero, I think. No, no, that's Gallifrey. Let's see. And zero. Yeah, that's the coordinates of Gallifrey. No, um, I can't remember the name of that episode, but it's like that. Anyway, um, what were they? What are they called? What are, what are the synths called? The AIs. The, there we the go. The AIs. Yes. The AIs. There we go. The the, the, a, um, the AIs know English, obviously. So yeah. And they're working with the Chigs. So somebody has taught somebody to speak. Yeah. The. Uh, let's see. The only other thing I have is, you know, we have a scene where we knew that Wang had to come back because he borrowed West's knife. That is one hell of a trope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, was, there's always something I took. I have to give it back to you. What varies from movie or episode to movie or episode, but yeah, yeah, but much more convincing if that knife had been on the bodies. Imagine. <laughs> oh, I left it in the pocket on the 61st. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Wes. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Then... Uh, the only other thing I have about this episode yep. is the director, Thomas J. Wright. Thomas J. Wright. Who directed five episodes of the 23. The, uh, we've seen what we've seen some of his work. No, he, he, I take it back. He directed six. He directed five others. So that's a good run. Six out of 23. Uh, he um, direct. We have seen his first effort in this series. It was no, episode number eight, Hostile Visit. And then another, uh, um, yeah, eight and nine then, right? Oh, no, no, that's just the first part of it then, just right? Just eight. Just eight. Of the two parter, yeah. The other, of course, in this one, and then numbers 13, 19, 21, and 23. Right. Okay. Well, you know, he's just probably a 
my understanding of the way that television shows work is you, you know, you find a director that can do the job. Uh, you bring them in and if they, they work out for you, you keep bringing them back every four or five episodes because that's about the length of time they need Yeah, to, 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 I don't know. There's, there's pre-production and then there's production and there's post-production. That's all in the director's plate and that's several weeks and then you move on to the next one. So yeah. All right. All right, well, then that seems to wrap up this one. The next one is uh, The River of Stars. Yes, it is. So, nice poetic uh, title. It, that sounds like a good episode, but uh, we'll we'll find out. <laughs> yes, we, yes, we, yes, we will. Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. <laughs> Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash Fusion Patrol or patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation and find other content at fusionpatrol.com. And we're back on social media, where you can also follow us on Mastodon and the Fediverse. Our address is at podcast at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at the Bugs episode. Happy ever after? We discuss marrying for love and marrying for control, the implications of a water grid and why this wasn't explored in a show ostensibly about technology, and whether passion for cricket is the best reason not to go and live in the United States. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.